Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, this talk is called Advice for Mind Training. Advice for Mind Training. Specifically, we're going to talk about actions that we want to adopt, actions we want to, things we want to do. And I'm going to read to you a short quote from The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote about what we're going to talk about today. And I quote, This collection of 21 pieces of advice reinforces the mind training practice. When we incorporate this advice, mind training benefits every aspect of our lives. Pour over each of these statements. Memorize them. Examine them to see if they are present in your life and actions. When they are present, rejoice and commit to practice even more. When they are not present or barely present, commit to doing better. So that's what we're talking about. This is called 21 Actions to Adopt that Support Mind Training. And these are from the Lojong teachings. So these are going to be 21 little slogans, little like bumper sticker type proverbs. And what we want is to be able to recall these when we need them. So that's why we're learning them and discussing them. Okay, and there's 21 of these. I will see if we can get through all 21 today, and if not, maybe I'll split it. I split the actions to avoid into two episodes, and this is the actions to adopt, so maybe it'll be two as well. But we'll see. We'll see. Depends on how long-winded I am and how uh, easy to explain this stuff is. So, the first one is make all yogas one. Make all yogas one. Now... Yoga in this concept means practice. That's what yoga means. It's a Sanskrit term that means practice. And in this context, I'm going to read to you just what uh, Kendra Lodrote has to say about this one because I think it's uh, instructive for us. He says, and I quote, In this context, it means to immerse the mind in positive qualities. Make the goal of all yogas to free all living beings from suffering and to bring them to true happiness. This is called the single path to be traversed. As practitioners of mind training, everything we do can be motivated by the single aspiration of bodhicitta, the mind of awakening. Always check your practice to make sure it's based on bodhicitta. Whenever this motivation is absent, focus on cultivating it. End quote. So that's that's what we're talking about here. We're really we want to make sure all of our practices are motivated by the right the right motivation, which is making the world a better place for ourselves and others, and compassion. And when we lose sight of those things, that's when we can realize that we're falling into trouble. So the second one is use one method for correcting everything. Use one method for correcting everything. We always want to keep doing our meditation practice. And that's what this is about. This is uh, specifically, he's talking about um, Tonglen practice, which is practice to manifest compassion. But I think we can apply this to all 
the forms of meditation that we do. We want to keep practicing even when we really don't want to. Even when we feel like things are getting hard. Meditation practice is our correction for everything. It's how we get our minds in line. And when we don't feel like it, we should probably do it anyway. When we don't feel like it, we should probably do it anyway. The third one is... In the beginning and the end, there are two things to do. So in this one, he's talking about the beginning of our day and the end of our day. We should begin our day by setting an intention to manifest the awakened heart, bodhicitta. And we should end our day by reflecting on that and remembering how well we did. Those are the two things to do. So in the book, uh, The Power of Mind, Kendrell Lodrote says, and I quote, the moment you wake, think, today I will not be separated from bodhicitta. Then right before you go to bed, reflect on your day. Acknowledge when you didn't practice successfully or simply forgot to practice. Generate regret for any times you became upset harbored negative thoughts, or engaged in harmful actions. Commit to refrain from negative thoughts, words, and actions in the future. Then, resolve to cultivate bodhicitta and apply the practice next time. Acknowledging mistakes undermines the continuity of negative mental habits, sets a resolve to think and act differently, and helps establish positive habits. Next, think about times during the day when you upheld the aspiration of bodhicitta and were successful in practice and in benefiting others. Rejoice in this virtue. Acknowledging moments when you practiced well reinforces positive habits and increases joy. Conclude by dedicating any virtue you've accumulated during the day to the welfare of others. I think that uh, that's instructive. To, end quote. I'm sorry. I think that's instructive to us. We want to celebrate success. We want to celebrate success. If we don't celebrate it when we succeed, then our success may not mean as much to us. We may not go in the direction we want to go. Celebrating success really helps. So, next is, whichever of the two occurs, be patient. Whichever of the two occurs, be patient. The, the two are happiness or positive things and suffering or negative things. And whichever one you're experiencing, you need to have patience. When suffering occurs, remind yourself it's temporary. And when happiness occurs, make sure you don't become careless. Make sure you don't become careless. Uh, there's a story from the Zen tradition that I'm going to share here because I think it's relevant. And I know normally I don't do that. But um, the story is there was this guy who had a farm and he had adult children that helped him work his farm. And he had a horse that he used in farming. And one day his horse escaped somehow. Okay, the horse escaped. So the horse is gone. He wakes up one day and it's gone. 
and his neighbors come over and they're just like, oh man, that's so sad that you lost your horse. It's so sad. I know the horse was expensive. And the farmer, he's just like, well, maybe, I don't know. It could be good or bad. You never know. And so the neighbors just think he's really weird and they leave. And the next day, the farmer's horse comes back. Only it has some wild horses with it that have just shown up. So it's like the horse went out recruiting, right? So suddenly the farmer has several horses. Not only his original horse, but he's got new horses. So the neighbors come over again and they're like, oh, you're so lucky. You have a bunch of horses now. You can use these on your farm or sell them. You can do whatever you want. And the farmer looks at them and he says, oh, well, maybe, I don't know. It could be good or bad. You never know. So the neighbors are thinking, man, this guy is really weird. And they leave. And so the next day, the farmer's son, his oldest son, who is his main helper on the farm, he gets on one of these horses, one of these wild horses to ride it. And it knocks him off and he breaks his leg. And this is in ancient times. Breaking your leg is serious and can kill you. Well, I mean, today, breaking your leg is serious and can kill you, I guess. But, like, back then, if you broke your leg and it didn't heal right, there'd be nothing you could do about that, really. Nothing you could safely do. And these days, I think if you break your leg and it doesn't heal right, like, they can re-break it and fix it, as awful as that sounds. But in those days, that was not really a thing. So I just want to express a really devastating thing happened to the farmer's son, okay? And... His leg's broken. He's not going to be able to work for a long time. And it could, I mean, he could, his leg might never work properly again. And he could even die, right? So the neighbors come over again. And they're like, oh, I'm so sad for you. That's so devastating that your son broke his leg. I don't know what you're going to do without him. It's going to be so hard for you. And the farmer says, well, maybe it could be good or bad. You never know. You never know. And so now the neighbors have, are, of course, thinking he's super weird, right? And they leave. I like to think that his son was not present to hear his father say that breaking his leg may or may not be a bad thing, you know? But uh, that's the story silent about that. But this is what happens then. A few days later, the army comes to the town and... um. This is ancient China, by the way. I don't think I made that clear. Anyway, the military comes to town, and they are recruiting all healthy young men to go join the army and fight in a war. This is like the draft. This is not optional. So they're going house to house to recruit young, healthy, strong men, okay? And they come to the farmer's house. And his son, his only child that's old enough to go to war has a broken leg. So the army recruiters, they come and they see him and they're like, well, we can't take him, obviously, and they leave. And here's the thing. Every young man that was taken from this village died in war very soon after. So, so what happened was this farmer, with his wisdom, he knew that you never know. You never know if things are good or bad, right? You never know 
if you should really be delighting in your happiness, if, if you should really be lamenting your suffering, you never know what's going to happen. And so because his horse escaped, he got extra horses who were wild. Because he got wild horses, his son tried to ride a wild horse and broke his leg. And because his son broke his leg, he could not go to the army. And because he could not go to the army, he did not die. So, again, the neighbors come and they're like, hey, you're so lucky your son didn't get taken in the war. All our sons got taken. And again, the guy just says, maybe. Could be good, could be bad. You never know. Could be good, could be bad. So next is observe these two even at the risk of life. The two we're talking about are vows and commitments. And we should take these very seriously. You know, if you give your word, that should mean something. Because if it doesn't, people don't trust you. And therefore, there's less harmony in your life. But also, uh, we can talk specifically about Buddhist vows that is, in Buddhism, there's various levels of vows you can take, and we need to take those seriously, even at the risk of our life. Um, not taking those seriously is is something to be frowned upon. That's all I had to say about that. That's what about observe these two is just keep in mind commitments you've made. Don't mess around. Keep in mind in mind commitments. Okay. Okay. So next is train in the three challenges. And I'm going to go through those. I'm going to tell you what those are and then go through them a little bit more. They are the challenge of disturbing emotions, the challenge of applying the remedies, and the challenge of stopping the habits. So, the challenge of recognizing disturbing emotions. We often feel negative emotions before we're really aware of them before we're really aware of them. So we start to get upset and we don't like think to ourselves, oh, I'm getting upset, right? We don't, we don't, if someone says an unkind thing to us, we don't think to ourselves, oh, I'm getting upset. And then we get upset, right? It just happens. We get stuck in just reacting. And because we get stuck in just reacting, we identify with our disturbing emotions instead of choosing how to respond. I think our language is very powerful here. We don't say, I'm having an experience of anger. We say, I'm angry. We identify with that emotion. And we do that on all our feelings. But that's not really what's happening. You're not becoming your feeling. You are identifying with it. You're, it's subsuming your being right now. But it's not really who you are. It's not really who you are. No one is an angry person. People just have the experience of anger. People just have trouble dealing with the experience of anger. It's not who you are. So the challenge is, though, to recognize and have that mind that can say, oh, a disturbing emotion has arisen. What can I do? What can I do? And the point of that is so that we don't lash out at the world when we're disturbed. We don't want to lash out because, well, that creates a lot of disharmony. That makes us unhappy and it makes other people unhappy. 
And that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to sort of spread joy. So uh, the second challenge is, and remember, these kinds of teachings are full of challenges. Uh, challenges? No, these kinds of teachings are full of lists. <clears throat> not full of cha- Well, they are full of challenges, but that's not what I meant. So the second one is the challenge of applying remedies. So at first, it's really difficult to apply our mind training when disturbing emotions come up. And so this slogan is really just reminding us that we need to practice repeatedly in order to develop these skills and change our habits. Uh, maybe you should listen to these this series more than once because just hearing about these and studying them and training in them over and over is how we change our habits. Our habit right now is to just lash out when something bad happens. Our habit right now is to just collect our suffering, wallow in it, and spill it onto other people. That's our habit right now, and we want our habit to be spreading love and compassion and getting a handle on our disturbing emotions. It's empowerment. This is about empowering us to awaken our hearts and sharpen our minds. And that's what we're talking about here. So the third challenge is the challenge of stopping the habits, what I just talked about. We want to stop responding to things with disturbing emotions, or at least not do it so much. At least not do it so much. Uh, the truth is that when your mind is disturbed and when you're carried around by these negative emo- emotions and you're also like living on autopilot in your life, well, it's easy for people to sell you stuff. It's easy for you to make bad decisions, right? So uh, in the book, The Power of Mind, Kendrell Lodrote on this subject, he says, and I quote, think over and over again that you will completely eliminate the disturbing emotions. Say to yourself, I will cut through the stream of disturbing emotions. Vow again and again not to react to unpleasant circumstances with disturbing emotions. Resolve to be free of them. Vowing to destroy disturbing emotions at their root is essential to taming the mind. This is how we overcome our demons. End quote. So I think that's really powerful and we can think about that. We can think about that. So next is, and this will have another list, so that's great. Next is adopt the three principal requisites. The three principal requisites are said to be three things that we really need on this journey, okay? That's why they're called principal. They're called requisites because they're required and they're called principal because they're really important, okay? So number one is rely on a qualified spiritual teacher. Number two is practice correctly with a mind that's open to the Dharma. And number three is have the right conditions for practice. So relying on a qualified spiritual teacher. There are certain qualities we want to look through, look for in a spiritual teacher. They should know the path. They should have sufficient teachings on authentic scriptures, and they should have transmissions from their teachers. They should also have a direct experience of practicing the teaching, and they should be motivated, selflessly motivated by bodhicitta, by genuine love and compassion. That is what a spiritual teacher should be like. 
And if they don't seem that way, that's a time to beware. And if they do seem that way, that can be really inspiring and help us. It's important to have a spiritual teacher because uh, without one, we might have questions we can't really get answered. And that can really get in our way a lot. So it's imp- it is important to have someone we can lean on. Number two, practicing correctly with a mind that's open to the Dharma. We need to learn how to connect with the teachings and follow the teachings as they're given to us. So if you have a spiritual teacher that tells you to do Tonglen practice every morning, you should do that, right? And also what, what we're studying in these, but not just from a teacher, but what we're studying in this, these teachings, we should do that. What we shouldn't do is just arouse compassion when we feel like it for people that deserve it. No, we should practice correctly. We should be try to be open to these teachings and the way they are. And I know that can be a real, real challenge sometimes. But that's what we're trying to do here. And then the last of the three principal requisites is have the right conditions for practice. And that means our basic needs have to be met. It's very hard to practice if you're food insecure or housing insecure, obviously. So having those having those is really important. It might be the – I don't want to say it's the most important of the three, but I do want to say that it's really, really important because not having those can really get in our way. So now that I've talked about the three principal requisites, I want to read to you a passage – uh, from the power of mind about the three principal requisites to um, sort of ha- help us think about them. So, Kendra Lodrote says, and I quote, Examine your life and ask yourself if you possess these three principal requisites. Have you found a qualified teacher? Are you practicing correctly with an open mind? And do you have the necessary provisions? If you do, rejoice. Make the aspiration that all beings possess the three principal requisites. If you discover that you are lacking any of these supports, put special emphasis on cultivating the cause you lack. Make aspirations and prayers to help create these causes. When you see a person who possesses them, rejoice in their good fortune and think, may they always have them. And if you meet someone who does not have the support of conditions for practice, Meditate on compassion and make aspirations that everyone may possess the three principal requisites for accomplishing the path. So that is what Kentrel Lodrote says about these three principal requisites. So next is meditating. Meditate without the three deteriorating. Meditate without the three deteriorating. Did I tell you there would be a lot of lists? Um, Buddhist teachings are full of lists. And so this is, we just did a list and here's another list. Meditate without the three deteriorating. The three we're talking about are devotion to the teacher, enthusiasm for the trainings, and upholding the vows. So, Devotion for the teacher. We want to have a spiritual teacher and cultivate a connection with them. 
I'm going to read to you what uh, Kendra Lodrote has to say about this in the book, The Power of Mind. He says, and I quote, All the qualities and realization that come from the Mahayana Dharma depend upon a positive connection between student and teacher. The more we learn about the student-teacher relationship, the more we will appreciate its role in our spiritual growth. Over time, as we practice the teachings we've received, our devotion will expand as our faults decrease and our positive qualities grow. On a deeper level, devotion enables us to experience our true nature, from which even more trust naturally blossoms. As trust increases, so does our practice and realization. Devotion opens us up to all that our teacher transmits. To foster devotion, keep learning and practicing, and let your heart be open. I really like it, end quote. I really like it when people say things about opening their hearts in teachings like these, because I think that that's a way I like to think about it. That's a way I like to think about it. So the second thing we need to not have deteriorate is a little bit easier to think about, I think. Enthusiasm for the trainings. We want to cultivate joy for the practices we're doing by appreciating our growth. We want to appreciate our growth. This path is a path to get excited about because it's helping us grow and change and be better and unleash our potential. But sometimes we forget to be excited about it. We we could see meditation as a chore and we could see cultivating compassion as a chore too. And that that doesn't help us. That doesn't help us because it's not a chore. We're doing this because it benefits us enormously. We can transform our lives for the better. We can. So, when we start to when we start to lose our enthusiasm, we can try to renew it. How can we try to renew it? By reflecting on the four thoughts that change our mind. The four thoughts that change the mind, the preliminaries, which um, quite a while ago I recorded an episode about those. That was the beginning of our, of our mind training episodes. But those are this precious human life, impermanence, karma, cause and result, and suffering. Human life, impermanence, karma, and suffering. When we reflect on those things, we remind ourselves of the struggle we're having without the mind training teachings and practices without those. And so that can help us just remembering the predicament we're in, remembering the things that make us struggle and remembering how removed from contentment we really are. So that was enthusiasm. Next, finally, is upholding the vows. And... This is about, again, our vows and commitments. And I'm going to just read what Kentro Lodrote has to say about these because he talks specifically about these Buddhist vows. And I'd rather have him speak about those than myself. So he says, and I quote, Uphold the three vows, the Pratimoksha, Bodhisattva, and Mantrayana Samayas, which form the framework of the path. Notice how this point comes up in different contexts in the commitment section and the advice section. 
The reason this is emphasized is because on many levels, upholding the commitment to the vows sustains and strengthens everything we practice. Anytime our commitment weakens, the spirit of practice is compromised. It is important not to allow our vow to degenerate in any way. End quote. So these vows are important. And so this, um, we are in the advice section. And prior to this, I was talking about the commitments section prior to this episode. And this, this kind of thinking comes up again and again. And it's just, it's important. We need to be reminded. If you have taken vows, please take those very seriously. Okay? That's the message here. So uh, that is going to be it for today. And I hope this talk has been helpful following these key points, these Lojong slogans. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you for listening and have a good day.